I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We'll be in chapter 12 this evening, spending a little bit of time in God's Word before we remember the Lord's death as He has taught us through the Lord's Supper. If you haven't been to one of our Good Friday services, you could, I trust, already tell the, the weight that I hope is here in your heart and upon us as we ponder and Sing to our God who sent His Son to die for sinners such as you and I. We want to feel that weight tonight. It is weighty that Christ, the Son of God, has died for you. And it is good for you and I to experience that weight, to remind ourselves of it. And so tonight, uh, before, when we end our service, I'm, I'm going to dismiss you after the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to ask that if you would just leave quietly. If you want to visit, certainly you can. But if you'll do so outside of the auditorium and you'll do so a little bit more quiet perhaps than normally. And we could just depart as they did on that Good Friday. As they departed the cross with the way. Celebration's coming, by the way. Um, we'll, we will celebrate well on Sunday. But tonight, I want to consider with you John chapter 12. Uh, I hope you have your Bible open. I'm going to be bouncing around in this chapter for just about 10 minutes or so. John chapter 12 is immediately follows Jesus entering Jerusalem to the jubilation and the acclamation of the masses of Israel with their palm branches in hand and praise in their mouths, singing, Hosanna to the highest, Hosanna to the King of Israel. And it's immediately after that great praise that Jesus says in John 12 and verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So what what we see here is something's about to happen. Jesus calls it the hour or his hour. Something important is about to happen in his life. He'll use that same word again in verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this very purpose, I have come to this hour. Jesus says, this is my purpose. It's all been headed to this. My life has been going to this hour. I've come for it. My life is dedicated to it. And Jesus had been waiting patiently for it, waiting for that hour to come. In fact, John will use this phrase repeatedly in his gospel. For instance, in John 2, when Mary comes to her son to tell her that they've run out of wine at the wedding, he tells his mother, my hour has not yet come. Or in John 7, when they tried to arrest him, the Bible tells us no one laid hands on him because his hour had not yet come. Or in John 8, when he stood before the assembled worshipers in the temple declaring that he is the light of the world, the Bible tells us no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And we get to John 12 and verse 23, and he says, it is here. It has now come. The hour has arrived. The hour of what? Well, interestingly, he tells us in verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. 
And again, verse 27, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this very purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So it's the hour for the Son to be glorified. It's the hour for the Father to be glorified. We could call it the glorious hour. Of course, as you know, this, this hour is a reference to His crucifixion. It is the hour of His death. Jesus is well aware of this. You see in verse 24, Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it, di- if it dies, it bears much fruit. And again, verse 32, And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So this glorious hour is the hour of Jesus' death. And he's not glib about it. He's not carefree about it. Oh yes, it's going to be glorious. He's terribly troubled by it. As we've already seen in verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. He knew what was awaiting him. What, what we had read to us. He knew the denial. And the betrayal. He knew the, the whipping and the beating and the spitting and the mocking and the thorns upon his brow and the lash upon his back and the nails upon his hand. He knew of the wrath of God that would be born by him. He is not glib when he calls it the glorious hour. He's not carefree. He's deeply troubled. He recoils at it. He says, my soul is in agony because of it. There is a very real temptation for Jesus to avoid it. In fact, he's so troubled that you and I might think he should pray to be rescued from it. Is that not what he says here in verse 27? Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? He asks you, what do you think I should say about my troubled soul? Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? No, I will not say that. Because I've come for it. You see, Christ understands that this hour for Him to be glorified and for the Father to be glorified is also the hour of His crucifixion. And He, therefore, is teaching us that the pathway to glory for Him and for the Father is not apart from the cross, but is through the cross. It will lift Him up, He says in verse 32. You see that? And when I am lifted up from the earth. Now he, of course, is referring, as verse 33 tells us, to the type of death in which he will face. He'll be lifted up, quite literally, hoisted upon the cross. But that phrase, lifted up, is used throughout the Bible almost always in reference to honor, praise, and exaltation. For instance, in the book of Acts, it will say not once but twice that Jesus Christ has been lifted up to the Father's right hand. Or in that great Christological song in the book of Philippians, that the Father has highly lifted Him up. That's the exact phrase that's used here. Highly exalted. And so the exaltation of Christ is not something after the crucifixion. It is the crucifixion. The exaltation of Christ, the glory of Christ is not something that, that comes after His death. It is His death itself. The hour has come for me to be glorified. Now the question that raises is how can the, the murder of the best person ever to live, the violent, vile, obscene, painful, Public 
murderer of the one who far exceeds in every way our greatness. How can that be glorious? Well, I think he tells us in verse 24. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it, what, bears much fruit. The glory in his death is in what it produces, namely fruit. He tells us this mini parable, doesn't he? He says, how does a seed contain glory? It's, it's, it's ugly, it's brown, it's small, it, it does nothing. Where's the glory in that? Well, the glory is in what a seed produces. The, the glory is in the fact that the seed must be buried in order to produce. It must, it must die in order to bear fruit. And Jesus is saying, so, so too must I die in order to bear fruit. I'm going to die in order to, to, to produce something, to bear fruit. So what is the fruit in which Christ is going to produce? Verse 32 And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. What is the fruit he seeks to produce through his death? You and me. We are the fruit that comes through the cross. We are the glory of Christ. The body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the temple of Christ, the increasingly conformed image of Christ. We are the fruit that it buds on Calvary's tree. So when I'm exalted up, I'm going to draw you to myself. I, I love that, that phrase. I'm going to draw all people to myself. It's more than an invitation, isn't it? It's a drawing. He said earlier in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him to me. And the Father will draw people to Christ. It happens when He changes our hearts and gives us a desire for Jesus. It's going to draw them in. In other words, the cross does not simply make salvation possible. The cross does not simply offer salvation to any who would come. Though it does that, the cross draws us to Christ. The, the, the Christ's cross is like a magnet that brings us in. John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. We have come to Christ. We are the fruit of that glorious hour. It is a glorious hour. It is a fruit-bearing hour. And lastly, it is an ongoing hour. Of course, his death was once for all and that has been finished. But we are to continue the work in which he showed us on that good Friday. Look in verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus says, I want you to follow me now. Now, where's he going? He's going to the cross. He's going to Calvary. That's where he is going. That's where you and I must go. He said in Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's where I'm going. I'm going to the cross. Are you coming with me? He says. 
Paul himself would say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, Jesus has suffered and died, not simply, Christian, to give you eternal life, not simply so that you might be forgiven. He has died upon the cross to give us new life, a different life, different direction in life, a different lifestyle. He says, come and follow me. There in verse 26, verse 25, whoever loves his life will lose it. You see, to follow Christ, we have to, to die to ourselves. This is not the continual refrain which Christ calls for us to lay down our own life just as He has shown us. This runs so contrary to, to religion in general and to, if you will, kind of Americanized Christianity which says over and over again that God exists to enrich me, God exists to follow me around and bless me and give me things and work according to my will. Christ is saying something drastically opposite here. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it. He says, I want, I'm not, I want you to give your life up for me, Jesus says. First Peter 2.24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Right? So we are to be just like Jesus, that, that grain of wheat that falls into the ground and dies to self in order that we might produce fruit for His kingdom's sake. We die to self-reliance. We die to self-promotion. We die to self-centeredness. We, we die to self. Just as Christ died to self and live for the glory of the Father. And what happens if we do? You see that in the end of verse 26? If anyone serves me, what? The Father will honor Him. Just as He did with Jesus. Jesus went to the cross and the Father exalted Him. He honored Him. And now Christ is inviting us into that same life. Those who follow Jesus in self-denial will receive the same response from the Father as Christ has received. That we too will be honored by Christ. So my question for you on this Good Friday, Christian. Is there some place in your life that you have to die to? Is there some place in your life that you have to surrender to God. Lay it down. Some greed, some materialism, some pride, some secret sin, some habit. Is there something hindering your fruitfulness? Can Good Friday, can the story of Christ's death for you, can that not work a new work in your heart even now to die to self as Christ has died for you? Brian Chappell, he's a president of a seminary in St. Louis and a prolific author, tells a story of his hometown by a river. And the town depended upon the river for its commerce, and so routinely the river would be dredged to clear the channels. And they would take the sand out of the bottom of the river that they would dredge up, and they would make giant heaps of sand on the side of the river. Chapel says, as a kid, few things were more fun to play on than these mountains of sand, and few things were more dangerous. 
Because the sand is dumped there on the side of the river while it's wet, and soon the exterior of the sand hardens. It forms a crust-like surface. But quite often when the water escapes, it brings sand with it underneath, creating these hidden voids. And a child could climb up on one of these mountains of sand and fall through the hole, and immediately the sand will fill in around him or her. Well, on one particular day, two brothers were out playing on the sandbanks by the river and did not return home at dinner time. And the family and the neighbors began to organize a search. They found the younger brother, his head and shoulders protruding from the mound, unconscious because of the pressure of the sand upon him. They began to dig frantically around him, and when they cleared the sand down to his waist, they roused him, and they said, "Where?" Where is your brother? And this young man said, I'm standing on his shoulders. And the older brother lifted his younger brother to safety and in doing so sacrificed his own life. I will live forever. I will not face the condemnation of a holy God I shall reign upon this earth redeemed as a co-heir with Christ. I will live forevermore in a place called paradise. And I will do so because my older brother let me stand upon his shoulders and died for me. He gave his life for you. Will you follow him? Will you live that life? If any man is to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for our Lord. Eternally thankful, I trust, in the coming years and millennia, our gratitude for his work will abound and abound forevermore. Oh, Jesus, why you would come and give so much for people like us is beyond our understanding. But we are eternally grateful for it. May you capture our hearts because of your work. May we not look upon you as someone to follow us around and spill your, your trinkets upon us, sprinkle us with your blessings. May we instead see you as the one for whom we are made. May we instead see and understand and believe and follow that true joy and peace and happiness and purpose and delight is found when we lay our lives down at your feet. And say to you, my God and my Lord, do with me as you please. May that be our cry. And in doing so, may we, like you, bear fruit for your kingdom. And now, Father, we thank you for this meal in which we are about to take to commemorate our Lord's death. Even now, as we pray silently, we ask that you would help us search our own hearts that we might turn over 
anything the Spirit would reveal to us. That we can come to this meal in faith and repentance. So help us now. Spirit, search us now as we pray silently. Father, we rejoice in the grace and mercy bought for us by the shed blood and broken body of Jesus Christ, for which we now remember. Help us to delight in his work, we pray in his name. Amen.